Hello and welcome to White Hat versus Black Hat SEO Show. My name is Josh Bashinsky and I'm your host. My co-host as ever is Chase Reiner. Say hi, Chase. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? And with us today, we have longtime guest and friend of the show, Ted Kabaitis from SEO Fight Club. Say hi, Ted. Hello. And today, our special guest is Roger Bryan, president of Infusion. And he wants to talk about today what's better, white hat or black hat SEO in terms of making money, which makes more money. Say hi, Roger. Hello. How are you? We're doing all great. So, um, Roger, seems that you're the guest for this week, why don't you just briefly introduce yourself, like just kind of like a three, 30 second introduction, and then we'll get right to the show. Oh, awesome. So I'm the founder of Infusion. We're an uh, analytics platform for digital marketing agencies. Um, I was the founder of National Charity Services, which was a digital marketing agency based in Washington, D.C. Uh, that did fundraising for nonprofits online. I've raised about $120 million for nonprofits um, through the use mostly of SEO and SEM. And I am a firm believer that White Hat um, is the only way to run a successful multi-million dollar agency. Sweet. I well, agree with you. that. Thank you very much for being on the show. Um, so for those of you who haven't watched or listened to White Hat versus Black Hat before, one, we're kind of a video podcast. We do a video stream first, and then Chase, my co-host and technical wizard, the young millennial that he is, he takes this video podcast and somehow makes it an audio podcast, which is with black magic technologies that are beyond my kin. And he puts it on podcast. So you could be listening to this. You could be watching this. If you watch it, you get to see my extra sexy Moz t-shirt I'm wearing underneath my clothes. That's what I always wear because I'm such a big fan of Moz. That was sarcasm. Hashtag sarcasm. <laughs> Actually, no, that's not true. I like... Uh, I like uh, Rand Fishkin quite a bit. I talk to him on a regular basis, fairly regular basis. But uh, yes, so that's just an inside joke for those SEO people who know me and know what's going on. So uh, <laughs> moving right along, uh, today, uh, so the first segment we're going to get to, we have regular segments on the show, White Hat versus Black Hat. And one of the regular segments we like to do, we like to start the show off with new SEO questions from Cora. So all we do is we go to Google and we do a site colon operator, site colon Cora.com uh, SEO in quotes. And then we just toggle it to the latest 24 hours, and we look, take a look at the uh, the questions there, and we answer a few of them. So the first question that we see there is, how to be amazing at SEO? 22 hours ago, someone asked on Cora, how to be amazing at SEO? Well, guys, how are you amazing at SEO? How do you get, how do you be amazing at SEO? Tumbleweeds blow through. Okay. So, I, mean, I mean, that's uh, such a subjective question. I, I know. That's why I like, love it. <laughs> that's like how to be good at anything. Practice a lot. Uh, eat your Wheaties. Get up early in the morning. Take your vitamins. Well, and then, well, okay, I've got a little bit of a response there. I think when it comes to if you're thinking about starting in the SEO space or if you've just been playing around with it and you're trying to turn it into a business, it really comes out of specialization. Picking that niche, picking that type, and really concentrating on it. The, the people that do local aren't the same ones that you'd hire to do e-commerce. The ones that you hire to do e-commerce aren't the same ones that you might want to do broad, national, branded SEO for a major corporation. So if you want to become an SEO expert or drive revenue from SEO, niche down, get specific, and then put in your 10,000 hours and see what happens. Yeah, I like that answer. I mean, it's... 
the 10,000 hours is what stands out to me. It's, it's, it's specialization. And sure, you can do all those SEOs, but that means you have to spend 40,000 or 50,000 hours doing it uh, to be an expert in every, uh, or have really good friends who can tell you. If there's a little fine point you don't know, like I don't, I do SEO for everything, but sometimes like, there's this local thing I might not know, and I'll ask, I know people who do it in the locksmith category, I know people who do it in the cars, I know people who do it in, uh, in uh, services areas and stuff. Like, we have similar friends in that regard, actually, Roger and I, uh, last week's guest, Holly, and so we can ask them, how do you do it for this, these specific little little things? But yeah, you really have to spend hours and hours and hours and hours doing it. And like I said last week, you have to be a bit of a self-learner. If you're not a self-learner, basically, if you have to ask the question, you probably are never going to figure it out. <laughs> that sounds a little mean to say it that way. But if you're not a self-learner and you can't see the angle, and you can't go, oh, OK, I get the angle here. They're, they're doing this, and they're doing that, and I'll see how I can hack the algorithm here. And then that, then you can do it. And if you don't have that hacker ability, I, I use the worm hacker loosely, not like literally hacking like Linux or networks. But if you don't have that hacking ability, you probably won't be able to figure it out. Do you guys agree with that or disagree? I think I think I partly agree with that, and I also think it's like the mentality to take chances, to uh, be a risk taker, and not to not to get discouraged easily by how much competition is out there and to constantly try to innovate new ways of thinking and doing and also matching your learning with the implementation that you're going to be doing because you can get really lost in the uh, uh, amount of things that people say you have to do. Right. When I think right. the big thing for me is realizing that, look, you don't have to be good at everything under the umbrella of in digital marketing to be able to make differences in people's businesses. And I just, I think that there's so much opportunity out there to help people that I think people get so caught up in all the technical when really just by doing like basic things for people's businesses, like basic on page, basic off page, you can really make some huge improvements in their business. So that's a good answer. And the next, the next question that I think is kind of a funny one, it's clearly, let's see what you uh, SEOs and marketers think of this one. The next question is, what is the best SEO services in Calcutta? <laughs> well, if you want the best SEO services in Calcutta, come to Josh's finest SEO, CalcuttaInc.com. <laughs> so this is clearly this is clearly someone who's using Cora to put a self uh, promotional post up there. You know, who who are the best SEOs in Los Angeles? Clearly, the best SEO in Los Angeles is me, who made this post. You know, that that kind of a thing. Well, that's smart, though. I mean, you ask that question after you rank, right? You go, okay, I'm going to rank number one for this. You finally get the ranking, and then you ask people the question, right? That's pretty smart, I think. Yes. <laughs> no. I, I. Yeah. I'm. I'm being facetious in that you see it all the time, and we kind of groan and roll our eyes, but we see it all the time because it works a lot of the time, and it's a, and it's a good, a fairly good strategy in in some cases. Ted, Roger, do you have a comment about that? No, I think you guys summed it up pretty quick and easy. Yeah. There you go. Quick and easy. That was my name in high school. You can uh, Google that. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along, my wife is shaking her head. She's doing social beside me, and she's she's not impressed, not impressed at all. Um, here is a good question. How is the salary working in PPC? And the, 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 if, you're, if you drill down, the question is, what is the difference between SEO and PPC in terms of, of of salary that's kind of related to the question we're going to get to eventually with with Roger in a bit yeah it depends how good you are um, you know I, I've seen uh, a lot of in-house people and uh, being in-house myself uh, 
the top salary tier for SEO and pay-per-click is usually a commission-based structure. Um, and if you're really good at it, you stand to, to make your best income off of commissions. So it, it can easily get into six figures on both. Yeah, I, definitely. I mean, it, definitely depending on how many clients you have. Um, I, I, I'd say they're pretty comparable, personally. I think you know someone who's an expert in SEO can command quite a lot of money. And somebody who's an expert in PPC can command a lot of money. And PPC, I mean, pay-per-click, that's not just Google AdWords. You can branch out. There's there's a million things. We just talked about the 100,000 different things you can do in SEO you can specialize in. There's 100,000 different kind of paid-click uh, portions you can advertise in. I have a, a pretty good friend who I've known for a while here in Victoria, up in Canada, where I am. And all he does in buy, is buy and sells traffic. That's all he does. And he, he makes a lot of money. He makes hundreds of thousands a month buying and selling traffic. He gets traffic from Twitter, he sells it here, he gets traffic from there, he sells it there to different offers, or he, he uh, monetizes the offers himself. So there's lots of money in different, every different kind of aspect of it. It's not, so, it's not super easy, like it was in 2000 or 2001, to make oodles of money all of a sudden. At least I don't think so, if you guys disagree, by all means. But it's, the, the, the opportunities to make money are still out there, I think. I also want to add into that that I see a lot of people who aren't necessarily amazing at SEO who have a huge web presence because of their whether whether they're doing visual marketing, content marketing, whatever they're doing, and they're they're giving really bad advice on the content that they're they're promoting, but <laughs> the but their uh, their companies are really successful. I'm not going to name names, but I you know there's a couple out there that I've been watching at least on YouTube. And uh, and they're making you know millions uh, off these off these businesses. So and they're you know they're promoting things like PBNs and uh, you know re uh, uh, spinning content and all that stuff. And it's like and they're in their and they're labeling that in a way that's like that's something you should be doing. So uh, I really think it's the type of market you get, the type of clientele you get, and you know who who's willing to buy your stuff and how you can basically present it to these people to buy it. Right. And you know, so that, that and it's funny that you say that. Roger, you want to jump in? Yeah, I wanted to jump into this because I work at two different universities teaching sales and marketing. And so I see a lot of kids graduating with undergraduate degrees in marketing and trying to go out into the workspace. And a lot of times the ones that, like college graduates don't have SEO skills. They don't have pay-per-click skills. But some of them have had internships where they start to build the skills. And anytime you do the math, they're going to start $36,000, $40,000 a year at most mid-markets. I'm not talking about New York City or LA or anything like that. And I always tell them, I'm like, how hard would it be for you to go out and get two clients to pay $2,500 a month? Because now instead of making $35,000, you are making sixty, dollars And instead of working 40 hours a week, you're probably working five. And if you can do that, like you're off to the races. There's no right. barrier to entry in any of this stuff. A little bit of hustle and you can double your income at 22, 23 years old. And that's where you're really going to learn. You go into somebody else's system and you're going to get stuck in this corporate dichotomy about do this, do that. And you're never really going to build the skills to go out and really build stuff like wildfire. Yeah. Now, the people that we know that have 5, 10, 15 years experience that can demand $100,000, $150,000 a year jobs, totally different market. But that's the one percent of people in our space. So I'm <laughs> really I've become the one percent. <laughs> well, you better be the one percent with the skills that you have. Um, but really, those twenty-somethings, man, go out and hustle one or two sales. And I'm not like telling you to go get a job and then use their money while you go out and sell. 
but I'm telling you to go get a job and then use their money while you go out and sell. Because man, <laughs> take control of your life or as early as possible. There's so much opportunity and there's so little barrier to entry to what we do right now. Yeah, it's just hustle and just how clever you are. That's I think that's the, the takeaway from this section. Okay, so moving on, let's move to the next section now. So um, let's go for uh, the section, what's new in Black Hat SEO and what's new in White Hat SEO. Um, have you guys seen anything that's new that's going on uh, in either Black Hat or White Hat SEO? And if you guys don't want to jump in, I'll, I'll jump in. I'll say this, the thing that I'm still wor worried about in White Hat SEO is uh, this mobile first index and whether or not they're even going to be bringing it out. There's, you know, talk about SEO misinformation. There's a lot of people who, who said, there's a lot of people saying that it's not going to be a big deal, nothing's going to happen. There's people who are saying it's going to be, you know, Mobile Geddon 2. Mobile Geddon, the, 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 the son of Mobile Geddon, right? The offspring of Mobile Geddon. And then, and then at the same time, John Mueller is from Google is talking like they might not even roll it out. He's really backpedaling on it in his latest Hangout. Oh, well, we might not even roll it out. Who knows what'll happen? It could be. It's going to be months. It's months away. Is it truly months away, or is it here already? Is a question. Well, you know what? I know? I've got some data on that that I thought was interesting. So we work a lot in the healthcare space, which is very localized: hospitals, urgent cares, ambulatory, and things like that. And we've started to see in the past maybe short of a Windows 45 days, a spread in difference between local rankings and mobile rankings where they used to be pegged. And that spread is top of first page, bottom of first page, or top of second page. I don't know what the dynamics are that are creating that, but that spread wasn't there before. So it yeah. leads me to believe that there is a little bit of indexing change in the rankings between um, mobile desktop, or local desktop and mobile local that maybe you can expand upon from your knowledge base. All I know is the data is telling me that the spread's getting wider. Well, they have been experimenting with it. Like that was one of the things we talked about, I think in the last podcast was the fact that even though it's not completely rolled out, there are updates that Google's saying that they are experimenting with the like different sources of traffic or different um, websites or maybe even certain categories of websites. I'm not sure, but I know that they are experimenting with it. Yeah, um, and I, it's, you did talk about this last week, and I see it when uh, you're looking. Uh, I mean, Holly mentioned it last week. If, if those of you who don't know what we're talking about, go look at our, our last uh, podcast, our last video, uh, White Hat versus Black Hat show we did. And Holly, our guest then, was mentioning that you know you look for a video and you can find it indexed on mobile, but it doesn't show up indexed on desktop. And so, what is the difference here? And I think it's just the finickiness of the site colon search operator. Um, the site colon search operator, for those who don't know, you can type in into Google site colon www.whatever.com and it'll tell you all the pages on whatever.com that Google has spidered. And for years, this has kind of been the go-tool diagnostic tool from SEOs uh, to kind of tell, is Google spidering my site? Do they spider the entire site? What pages on my site are the most important, according to Google, that, that'll show up on page one when I do a site colon search operator? And John Mueller from Google and Gary Ilyish from, from Google recently have been telling us, yeah, don't do that anymore. We know you guys were doing that, so we changed the way it operates. And we're, we're just trying to give you some, some, some kind of smattering of what's on that website, A, and B, the number you see there of results can be orders of magnitude off. And so there's this neat little trick um, that you can use to kind of find out what the actual number in the index is that if you actually put at the end of your Google search ampersand start equals 990, that will actually put your Google search for the site colon operator to the very end of the Google results. 
And then it will actually catenate and tell you, oh, there's actually only 16 results here, there's 66 results, or there's 873 results. You click around a bit and you'll actually get the real number. So that's fairly useful. And that's actually a much, it's actually more useful than you know, actually, when you start thinking about how you can use it. But those, those are some of the secrets that I've learned in, in other areas that I probably should be keeping secret. But at least I'll, I'll, I'll leave that little tidbit out there. Nice. I do, have, I do have an update from something that I have been seeing in terms of Black Hat. Um, and this isn't even something that I figured out on my own. So uh, because I make so much videos on YouTube, people are always com coming to me with these questions. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Uh, because there's like all these new techniques coming out. Also, these, these groups out there like OMG who are teaching people, I don't even know. They, they, they started talking to me about something called reverse anchor text the other day. I'm like, what are you talking about? Uh, but what I've been seeing is not just PBNs, but um, people uh, trying to do a lot of uh, PBNs through uh, Web 2.0 properties. So like uh, getting like uh, four or five, uh, it's called tiers of different uh, uh, profiles for uh, like Blogger and WordPress and all these sites that aren't necessarily websites, but they're, they're social media yes. where they automatically get all their posts uh, distributed to these different platforms uh, with something like if this, then that and basically get a bunch of uh, links through social signals uh, through like, you know, maybe like 30 or 40 posts off of one post, you don't have to do anything. So I was wondering what you guys thought about that stuff. You, you know what's interesting? So we don't use PBNs at all. Thank God. Um, but we do use Web 2.0s in a very similar manner, except every piece of content that we put out on a Web 2.0 is 100% unique to the place that we post it. No syndication, no spinning, nothing. And it works brilliantly. Blogger, Tumblr, Blogspot, um, not, not Squiddy so much anymore, but all of those free ones because you carry this heavy domain authority. Now they're a little bit of trick to every time you set up a new one, you need to seed it with two or three pieces of content with no links. You need to let it vest a little bit, spread it out. But we're probably doing between 500 and 1,000 of those posts a month every single one of them unique and web 2.0s to me are a white hat element as long as every piece of content that goes out is unique now when you get into the tiers outside of that using some of those syndication processes yeah you can play a little bit in that but on those tier ones they 100 unique is tier one web 2.0s and i think that's as white hat as you can get besides high value pr right but then there also goes into the fact all the automation that comes off of that as well like you know uh not just uh, using your social profiles uh, to distribute on one specific page, but also sharing to, you know, like on different elements, like for instance, Pinterest has, you could share on like 30 group boards on Facebook, you could share in 30 groups as well as like 15 pages. Like you can get really crazy with this stuff and you can have tools that automate all of this stuff as well. You will never find one of those tools in our business. Yeah. Why? Because they're dangerous? Yes. Do you think that Google is monitoring for that kind of a thing, or do you just think it's just useless to do? It's interesting. I don't think that they're monitoring for those things, yeah. but those things always end up getting monitored, and then they implode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Holly did mention last week, and we've you know we know what we know pretty big tier black hats, and they do mention on a regular basis the the difficulties they have, which I think will be maybe part of our discussion a little bit later today. Just before we get to that discussion, that uh, which makes more money, uh, white hat versus black hat, which one makes more money? We do have a couple of questions from the audience that I, I guess we could throw in there just to to pepper the pepper the conversation. 
I don't know how to pronounce this person's name. Edzus Dunkers it asks, is AMP pages better than normal responsive pages? And I'll just say that uh, right now I wouldn't bother going AMP unless you're running a news site. Um, and uh, But it, the way that uh, Paul Bacaus from Google, he's the head there. I, I think I mis might be mispronouncing his last name, but Paul Bacchus or Bacchus or however you pronounce his name, he's the head of AMP at Google. And the way he talks about it, they definitely talk about it like AMP is A, going to have a ranking boost signal, and B, of course you'll go AMP. You'll go AMP everywhere. I would go responsive right now as long as it's fast. It's got to load like under three seconds. What do you guys think? Yeah, so I'll actually uh, uh, disagree with that, not because I don't think you're right, Josh, just because I feel like uh, AMP is something that you can actually use to your advantage. I started experimenting it on uh, with it on my different sites, um, like on my skyscraper posts, and literally my skyscraper posts that have you know over probably twenty thousand words in them with pictures and multimedia have an instant load time on mobile. So that's kind of one of those things where it's like you know I get all of that content with instant load times. Like why would I not want to do that? Yeah, yeah, I know. It, um, it is fast. Uh, but it, 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 if you just have a standard blog, it'll work perfectly fine if you're not monetizing it in any weird way or doing any interesting stuff with JavaScript or whatnot. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I don't know, maybe just because I hate Google. <laughs> That's why I'm saying it. Yeah, I, I uh, think about AMP and, and uh, usually my response is, you know, uh, isn't there a plugin that can do that yet? You know, and if there's not, you know, you probably should wait a bit more. Because right. you, you don't want to be the first. You don't want to invest all the R&D cycles and have all the headaches. You, you probably, you know, want to be, you know, 10th. Um, and then you get the efficiency and the benefits. And So I, I'd say wait a, a little bit longer. Let's see if, if the benefits, you know, the ranking boost for AMP is real. Because they promised a ranking boost for uh, secure pages. Right. And, and they did, but they dialed it back to near nothing a, a couple months later. Yes. Um, so the, the people who scrambled fast and hard uh, didn't get much ROI on that effort. <laughs> um, it, it, but at least the pain's behind them now. Um, but, you know, AMP is, is probably the same way. You know, I'd, I'd say don't be first, but keep an eye on it. Sorry, everything you say there, I just can't help but having a sexual connotation to it. Uh, no, no, it just, it's just my dirty mind. Never mind. <laughs> I'll, I'll move right on. But when you're scrambling fast and hard, you definitely want some ROI. Um, ba okay, so moving right along, <laughs> Cash Kasami asks, hey, Josh, how different is e-commerce SEO with a regular website SEO? I mean, in terms of on-page, is there anything extra that should be done aside from regular title tags, description schemas, et cetera? Ted, do you have an opinion on this? Because I know you do a lot of e-commerce SEO. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's an interesting uh, place to be because it's one of the few places where you actually do want multiple pages cannibalizing the same keywords. Um, but you have to have unique titles, unique meta descriptions, unique copy. But you end up having multiple products that serve the same keyword searches and Google automatically filters you down to one or two results per keyword search. So uh, you basically have to use tricks with 410s so that when you retire a product, you can quickly get another page that serves the same search term in its place into the results. So you don't uh, 301, you 410 instead? 
Oh yeah, yeah. I four ten. Uh, you know, I still believe uh, uh, redirects uh, diminish your page rank. So every every redirect is like another layer of linking, and it just takes away a bit of of your page uh, uh, your page rank authority that passes through. So minimizing redirects, I think, has a huge amount of value. And if your product's not coming back, just four-ten it and get the next product in there. Um, I, I think that's interesting. I would add that, and, and task completion, I think, would be even more important at that lower end of the sales funnel. Yeah, and, and the main thing is, is we want to keep sellable product in front of keyword searchers. Um, and so re redirects uh, it at our volume of uh, inventory, the number of SKUs we carry. Managing all those redirects would be a total nightmare. Whereas foretending the things that aren't coming back in stock, uh, nature handles it for you. It's low touch. Sweet. Okay, so let's move on to the main main meat of the of the grist of the mill, if I can mix my metaphors. So today we're talking about uh, in white hat versus black hat. We often have a a debate, a, somewhat of a debate, kind of a debate, a friendly debate about which is better, white hat or black hat. And today we're modifying that question slightly as to which one makes more money, white hat or black hat SEO. And Roger is our guest today. And Roger had something that specific that he wanted to say about that. And so I will I will let Roger start. And then one of us will jump in and, and maybe agree or disagree or, or debate as, as it were. Debate is a verb. We'll, we will verb it. So Roger, take it away. Awesome. Did you know I had to Google smattering just to see if that was a real word? <laughs> it is, which surprised me, but I just, I just, I just have that up on the computer. Um, yeah, I have been doing this a long time, just like everyone on this call. And I've got a lot of friends in both sides of the world. I've seen a lot of people come into the space. I've seen some guys that were rock stars in the 2000s by 2012 were completely out of the industry or went into something completely different. And when it comes to building a long-term sustainable business, those that have stayed black hat have to always be ready to go from boom to bust and then start all over again. Now the good ones can get from bust back to boom really quick. But if I was young and I was starting to build a business, I would be willing to commit that 12 to 24 months to building my base of business around white hat practices because it keeps building on itself. I have not changed my SEO strategy since 2008. It's nine years later and it's like 95% the exact same. It makes it really easy to make a lot of money doing it. And I'm really interested to see how someone is going to argue the black hat side is being a way to make more money. Well, I, just, I want to see that. Well, I'll, I'll come in and, and state that, you know, what you described earlier using the web 2.0s and unique content, you are building a network of links to your sites to boost them. And so that's arguably black hat. I would put well, it. Well, let me ask you this. What second. if it's real content that you let, engage and drive traffic to? Let me finish the point. Cause okay. I, you know, I think you're in a space that I would call, uh, using black hat and white hat ways. <laughs> Interesting. Um, it, and it's, you know, it's not really black and white, but if Google knew you were building a link network, for the purpose of boosting your rank, they wouldn't like it. Even even though you make quality content and it's all unique, you know, it it's it's you know, black hat 
it's using black hat and white hat ways. And uh, so I'd say part of your your success, you know, a small piece, not not a majority, but a small piece of your success is black hat. Um, oh, and oh. Drop the mic. <laughs> well, can I add? Can I add into this, Ted? Sure. Yeah. I just want to say that. I mean, I am of course the the guy who's always repping white hat. I'm always saying let's you know never go towards black hat because it's just really uh, counterproductive to long term uh, benefit for you and your clients. There are some things you can do that are going to probably be, be beneficial, but I honestly don't think any uh, real uh, like if you were really doing like like complete white hat, uh, there would be like there wouldn't there wouldn't be too many things you could do that wouldn't like infringe on what Google says you can do so uh, or can't do. So I think the re and it's funny because I'm actually wearing this gray hat today. I I, I think everything really these days is kind of gray hat um, because you can't. There's some things that you can't really like necessarily. Um, say are are either white hat or black hat like that web 2.0 because that's so that's like that's that, that that really comes down to opinion in the end and it's not yeah, like it google you ask huh it depends on who you ask and and like honestly yeah. if you start asking questions to john mueller or anybody who's like repping google you'll you'll see that they even they in most scenarios they're like well that depends because it really depends on you know so many different things so I, I don't like to say, in my opinion, I don't think black hat or white hat is the way to go. I but, think it's kind of in between. But hold on, but hold it's on, important to know. The point. Hold it's on, important, important to but know. This is besides the point, guys. Wait, wait, wait. The, the question was not, is Roger Brian white hat or black hat? And can we out him to Google and get Matt Cutts to come to his house and, and punch him in the teeth? <laughs> Although that might be amusing, you know, match to set up, you know, between, you know, people here and Matt Cutts, we can have a boxing match maybe. For charity or something, Matt, are you out there? I'll box you for charity. Uh, you probably would gladly punch me in the face, <laughs> probably. But the question is, what makes more money, white hat or black hat? So let's set aside any definitions of what white hat or black hat is. Let's take the most obvious white hat things and say that's white hat, and the most obvious black hat things and say that's black hat. And now let's say, okay, which one overall, over time, makes more money? Now well, Roger's position is that. It, uh, for most people, and Roger, tell me if I got your position wrong. For most people, white hat is going to make more money in the end, in the long run, because you're not going to have the peaks and valleys of success and failure, never mind the stress on your psychology and your life for doing that. Do I have your position right? Yeah, and I'd add one other caveat to that. Like, You cannot build a business brand if you're going through peaks and valleys and you got to take your clients through that. Um, you have to have that long-term stability. Like I know when I get a referral from a publicly traded company to one of their subsidiaries, it's because they've never had a valley. They've never, they don't know what a valley is. They never worry about Google updates. It's just, it's always consistent. The, the one thing that I was interested in seeing from anybody here is if you're doing black hat to your own assets, selling your own products and never have to deal with clients, can you build a sustainable seven figure business doing that? I don't know. I've never done it. I'd be interested to hear if somebody can. Well, it's interesting you say that because we both have friends, good friends, who, who were, you're doing or right along the lines of what you're talking about, where we've been going back to building a brand that's just strictly black hat. I mean, just think of all the big black hat tools or, 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 or I won't even mention them, but just think of all the big black hat tools, the big black hat sites, 
not like Black Hat World Forum, that'll be there forever, like just show, you can talk about Black Hat forever, but, but who are selling a Black Hat solution who are now either gone or changed significantly or, 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 or went, I, I, I used to know Black Hat, pretty big Black Hats who just went, gave up and went to PPC, they just gave up on it. I could name a few, probably name the same ones. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I don't know. So I'll take the opposite position just for, the, just for the heck of it, Roger, from your position. So I'll say this. So I'll say, ignoring the psych psychological issues and the stress on yourself aside, it's, a, it's simply a math equation. So you make a million dollars year one in your Black Hat operation, and then two years, Google catches you. The next two years, you make nothing. But then you're really clever and you work really hard. And so then year, 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 year four, you make $750,000 selling some Black Hat product on Warrior Form, some great huge promotion. And then another two years, you don't make any money. In, in the end, depending on how good you are, you could conceivably outstrip a standard white hat company that makes two, two or 300 grand every year. It depends how long we stretch this out over time. So it, it's, it's feasible that the Black Hat side could make more money. Well, I think there should be a distinction between uh, one person, you know, agencies versus an actual firm. Right. Because, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'd say that I've, I've probably met, as far as single person operations, I've probably met more black hat millionaires than white hat millionaires in that single person business arena. Um, but I, I think the average favors white hat. I think, uh, uh, you know, the average person doing white hat or black hat, I think the average white hat makes more money sustained. And isn't that, I want to jump in here. Yeah, please, Chase, go ahead. So I, I agree with your point, Josh, where I do think that you could be making more money with black hat to a certain degree. Um, what I do want to say is that even though you're going to be say, you know, in the long run making all this money, um, you have to think about the potential destruction of how many businesses and how many people's lives. And I don't think people consider this. I think when they think of black hat, they think, Oh, I'm cool. I'm a hacker. You know, I'm, I'm making all this money. Like, look how cool I am. It's like this whole ego trip. And they don't realize that you can literally be destroying so many people's businesses. They're, they're, you know, their life, the things that they depend on, they might have to go leave their job that they're depending on you to have that, you know, provide them with leads or whatever they're going to be getting. And then they're just going to drop off. And, you know, this could be this a huge amount of people and they all have to go, you know, work other jobs now where they have to work for somebody else and not have their dreams anymore. And so instead of giving them a long-term solution and you're not doing a long-term solution either, mm -hmm. you're, you're going to end up hurting a lot of people. And I just, and I feel like this is so overlooked when people go into black hat, they just be like, Oh, I'm, I just want to be really cool, but it's not cool. It's, it, it's really, in my opinion, it's, it's, it's so lame. Well, I've, I've seen countless like really naive and novice white hats destroy businesses too. <laughs> well, that's because they don't know what they're doing. I mean, there's so many people so, out there also who say, you know, you need my services and they don't even know how to do SEO. So that's a, that's a completely different person. That's not well, even black hat or white hat. That's just no hat. But I, I, I think, yeah. I think if you looked at the vast cases where damage was inflicted, it's usually by someone who doesn't know what they're doing and it's not necessarily white hat or black hat. It's on both sides. It's an experience. 
Yeah, you know what? I think there's an interesting part of this conversation, and it really comes down to that definition where one person might look at a colored hat based on the tactics that are implemented, where I might look at it as an order to be white hat that you have to have like a systematized process that's repeatable, scalable, and dependable, where you can't go in and say, I'm using white hat tactics, but then not know what you're doing because then you never really met the level of qualification that I would put as like a corporate marketer, an executive marketer, uh, a white hat marketer. And that might just be, again, there's so much variance in our own personal definitions of these things that it might even be hard to, to completely have this conversation like the way we're having it. And that's an interesting point because I've met far more black hat SEOs that actually track uh, attributed organic revenue and reports and than I have in white hat. I've actually had white hat people argue that you you actually shouldn't do SEO revenue reporting, which I cringe at. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> no revenue reporting? Yeah. Did you make any money this year? I don't know. We don't, well, we don't record that. There's, but no one has come and shut the shut the, the doors and no one's turned the lights off yet. So I guess we're doing good. Can we hire another secretary? I suppose we can. Do you want one? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> there's this group of white hats that I consider the retainer collectors and they don't want any accountability. If they're doing revenue reporting, people will quickly realize that they're not getting a good return. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. The end client result. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned that, like that was the bread and butter of our agency, uh, 2005, 2012 was, I didn't care what you ranked. I didn't care how much traffic we drove. How many conversions did you have? What was the average value? What was the ROI on your investment? And that's really where our analytics platform came to be is because most people didn't know how to create those attribution models and you can get eaten alive trying to go into tag manager, Google analytics, trying to track that stuff through. And we're right. like, we've got to put together a platform that allows us to do this. We put it together. We showed it to a small company called Microsoft. They wrote us a very large check to use it internal for their partners. And then we scaled it out into marketing agencies and it's that exact one thing. It's an attribution model to net revenue generated that is the only thing that matters in all marketing. SEO, pay-per-click, social media, um, smoke and mirror marketing, whatever it is, if you can attribute it to revenue generation, it works. If you can't, it doesn't. And to me, maybe when you think of white hat SEO, it's the tactics that they implement to get ranking. To me, white hat SEO also means that you can create those attribution models and you can show a client successfully that revenue has been generated. Because if you can't, I throw you into the black hat world. And maybe that's an unfair categorization. You're a hack trying to make a bunch of money. Now, I would never call someone like Holly that because her shit is so badass that it scares me. She's like one or two people <laughs> that scare me and just, we won't even go into that. Yeah, um, if, you, if you dare Holly to outrank you, she, she will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Within 24 hours. <laughs> When the internet story, I wonder what Holly did. Um, so there are people out there that make a lot of money in black hat, but then I look at all these people that say they're white hat and they're not doing proper keyword choice, not doing content optimization, site optimization, citations, mobile, all of those things. So anyone to me that isn't doing it right and leading to revenue generation to me goes in the black hat category. So isn't that an interesting segue because- But I. I, I have to, to comment on that. I still think more black hats actually do the gross sales summary reporting that you're right. describing. I, I think Interesting. The, the gap is largely on the, uh, uh, you know, on the, I guess the status quo white hat out there 
you know, probably doesn't that would be have an interesting the, discussion because the ability to do it or or the the, the desire to do it. Interesting. To me, so, it sounds to me it sounds like you guys are saying it's a, it's better to be a really good really good at black hat and 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 then be bad at white hat. Well, no, I think we're in agreement. <laughs> I, I think that it's we're in agreement that you have to track revenue. If you're not, you're crazy. Yeah. Um, so the question is not what makes more money, white hat or black hat. But but I, I, I think we're seeing the question is. Who makes more money, smart SEOs who know how to track what they're doing and know what they're doing, or or SEOs who fail to do those things? And that seems to be the yeah. You so know, it's interesting. Yeah, if you created a, a description for the best SEO professionals, there might be a little bit of variance in tactics. But who can track to revenue, and who can create a dependable, predictable, repeatable process to creating that revenue? And there's your best SEO professionals. Yeah, and I think they're on both sides. With like, zero so, risk. No, I don't think they're on both sides. Zero risk. Yeah, so that's all that's business the business point. There is no such thing as zero risk. Even, oh, yeah, even the right. purest white hat SEO can be shut down by Google tomorrow. Never <laughs> had a site shut down 17 years. Uh, well, then you missed the caffeine update, the Mayday update, the instant update, the crippled long tail. I mean... You can't make that claim. There's been so many detrimental updates. Plus, even within the past three years, they started playing with reducing page one results from 10 to nine. They took 10% of organic away from all websites and nobody even complained about it. Well, I so will say- You can't will, make those claims. I, I can't because I happen. can statistically back them by showing that no client has ever seen a decrease in revenue from an update while working with us. Hold on, I will say on Ted's side that you know link building on like through comment blogging and through just getting your link indexed by a bunch of different indexing sites was like the way to do it before. And then they of course released, what was it? The penguin penalty. Um, and I mean, that was like, everybody's like, well, what are we doing now? I mean, it, everything used to be off page SEO. So what would you say to that, Roger? Wait, say that one again. So when Penguin came out, the, the, the industry standard practice, of course, used to be just buy links. And you, know, you, you still get this. People, you know, people come to me for an audit. I'm very good at doing audits and doing forensic SEO and figuring out why your site's not ranking. And I know all the different little things, like the 40 different 200 ranking factors, blah. You can check a lot of them. And I, I like to think I'm up on quite a lot of that, or what's Google saying, what, what black hats are doing, white hats are doing. And I do this huge audit. I figure I give them like 40 things they can work on. And then they just basically they look and see how hard that is, and they go, "Well, can we just buy some links? Like, can can I just throw money at you? Can I just like set it and forget it? I throw money at you, and I have this peace of mind. I don't even check whether my rankings are better. I just have this peace of mind that you're doing something, Josh, and and you just do something, and I I don't know about it. Well. I, I'm sorry, guys. I kind of got lost in the question there. Let's go. <laughs> let's, go let's go back to like 2008 to 2012 when it was the wild, wild west and everything worked. Like you just threw yeah. shit against the wall and it worked. And then 2012 through 2013, that world came crashing down, and the new world that we live in today started. There's been a hundred pieces in between all of that, but that's really the big two sections that I think almost everyone in this call was part of. The yeah. 2008, 2012, 2012 since. Really, in that time, if you were doing quality content, quality websites, paying attention to your attribution models, making sure that you weren't only doing SEO, you're also doing SEM, 
You're also doing social media. You're also doing PR. You're also doing content syndication, not the spin type shit, but getting the right content into the right people in the right groups. Like if you were doing that the entire time, you should have never seen a problem. The only difference would be is if you added in a layer of aggressive link building or really most different types of link building, whether it be the blog commenting, the spinning of content, um, the syndication of content through like these IFTTT, whatever networks that people are doing to try to get the same piece of content to leverage 30 times. That shit works. That shit has worked. That shit is the ticking time bomb in your business. You don't need to do any of it. And we've proven this time and time again. I think the idea that I can't make a statement that we've never seen a client have a decrease in revenue from an update is wrong. We can boldly make that statement. And I know other firms that can make the same statement. They've never really tread that water with their clients. Now, have I run test sites outside of our client spaces to play around with things to see what we can do? Of course, everybody has to do that. And we've all got a good friend. Like, um, I know Josh, you do tons of testing. Kyle does tons of testing. I've actually gotten to the point where I don't need to do as much because I just follow whatever the hell you guys are doing and it makes my life a lot easier. But you're never gonna see that stuff rolled out on client accounts, it's just not needed. It's the SEO ecosystem, which has kind of evolved. <laughs> you know, Bill Slosky does the patents. You know, I, I, I listen to John Mueller and interpret everything he says and, and do, do hangout things. Kyle does actual tests. Uh, Ted does actual, actual experimental tests with actual data in, in case, uh, in, in Ted's case, correlation data. Uh, yeah, with complex correlation, correlation coefficients that I don't understand. He tries to teach me. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Maths? I, I, I want to. I play my guitar over here. I said, "What do you mean, maths? What is this maths thing?" Okay, so we have a question here um, from the the fine folks who are having a lively chat here, and uh, they ask. Uh, they're asking. One guy asked about twelve months contracts. Uh, it's going back to a, we were talking a little bit uh, a couple versions versions ago, talking about doing contracts. And and you think twelve month contracts are a good idea or a bad idea? I think they're a bad idea. Um, Typically what we do is when we look at a project, we look at how hard it's going to be to get traction. And that might warrant a 90 day or a six month contract. And then everything after that goes month to month. Um, we never do less than 90 days because it takes that long just to get the shit together. And then yeah. some of the more competitive spaces will maybe go out to six months because we want enough time to prove that we can deliver net revenue. Now, I'm not going to say that that's 100% going to happen just from organic every single time. We're going to get in a little bit, play around with some social media, some of their group buildings or community buildings, tribe building and things like that. But I don't think that companies go with 12-month contracts much anymore. Um, we found that by instilling trust and risk, risk reversal with clients, uh, we might give them like a 10% discount to pay a year in advance. Some people do it, some people don't. Typically, right. it's a client that brings on a second or third site that loves doing that kind of stuff. Um, but you really go out 90 days and then go month to month. If you know what you're doing, you're not going to lose them. A 12-month so, contract just says you're trying to lock them in and not give them the freedom to need success. Right. Yeah. Lock, locking them yeah. in. Sorry, Ted, one second. So that, that brings me back to something else. We mentioned this conversation that I want to mention. Um, so, Ted, you, you said you, you saw a lot more uh, black hats who are the single owner-operator and I thought, well, that makes perfect sense because one of the big differences in this conversation, what uh, white hat versus black hat in general and what makes more money, is that when you're white hat, you need a lot of help. You need a lot of employees, you need a lot of writers, you need a lot of 
you know, uh, ethical link builders, if I put it that way, like people emailing people asking for links. You need a lot of social media, <laughs> or you can. That, that can be sometimes what you need to do, the, the way you need to go. Um, you need designers, you need to sell a whole, there's a whole kind of, again, the ecosystem of everything you need to sell there, whereas the black hat guy or gal could could theoretically be one person who's just really clever and, and finds this exploit in Google and then finds a way to monetize it and then can can do that like gangbusters. And I think that's another interesting point. So I proclaim, I'm going to end this that this debate portion uh, uh, to a close and move on to another segment. And I'm going to proclaim myself the winner, whatever <laughs> it is I said. I don't remember what it is, but I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was clever. So moving on <laughs> to what would Google do? So um, here's a question. So voice search is getting to be a big thing. Uh, at least some people say voice search is a big thing. I'm not entirely sure that it's a big thing. Um, uh, it, speculating in the future, the, this kind of the point of this section is that um, do you think voice search is going to change the game tremendously? And uh, in the future, when everyone is just talking to Google and nobody types into Google, do you think that's going to be head and shoulders different, or do you think it's just the same old, same old? I have never once asked Alexa to go to a website or do a website thing. And so I, I think Alexa. it's a game changer. Do you mean Surrey? No, no, I, I have Alexa here, but it's, you know, it's voice search in, in many regards. Like I, I'd imagine it impacts things like streaming and it'll eventually impact uh, voice apps, which is a very small niche and growing. Um, but I think voice search will take away from uh, website search. In, in what way? Why do you say that? Well, um, oh, you mean because because people are going to be talking to Alexa and it's not going to want to go to a website. They're going to well, ask think, Alexa, "Hey Alexa, what? How how tall is Mount Everest?" And it's going to just give you I, that answer from a fact database. Yeah, even what? even Google has come out and said that you know more people uh, doing voice search want answers, uh, not search results. Yeah, um, there's there's the public relations distinction. They want answers, not search results. AKA Screw you, webmasters! We've built our business on. Now we've we've scraped all your content after we told you not to scrape. We've scraped all your content. We have an entity database, taken all from your hard work, and now we're going to profit on it and screw you. And and it's going to turn into things like you know uh, when when is my local Toys R Us open? You know uh, things like that, and it'll be scraped entity data that will go, you know direct to the, the searcher without involving the website. I see. So I was asking from the perspective of, is our job as SEOs going to change in the future because of voice search? And you're taking it from the perspective of, uh, yes, but yes or no, but our market's going to be much smaller because less web pages are going to be searched to SEO. Well, they'll, they'll be specialists probably for voice search that can help you get your song ranking that can make it findable, that can help you get your app, uh, you know, ranking. Um, but it, it's going to be different. And there'll probably be some exploits in getting your answers into that answer system. There already is. You, you know what? And then let me, I, I, I definitely got a strong set of data on this. But I will say in lack of perfect data, use available data. So one of the shifts that we've seen, and we've seen a lot of people talk about it, so we've been tracking it, 
is that there is a much more um, impactful manner in which single pages rank for multiple terms and multiple variations or synonyms or contextual relational words. And what we think is the primary influence in local correlated to that is the different context in which people ask things via voice. So it used to be two or three years ago that there was a primary dynamic in which people searched for things by typing into their computer. But when you start to get into voice search, everyone in, in each market is going to ask a question differently. Like, I, where can I order pizza from? Some people are gonna say pizza shop. Some people are gonna say order pizza. Some people are gonna say pizza delivery. Some people are gonna say pizza deals, but they're all looking for the same thing. So when you start to say, send me the pizza that has anchovies and dancing bears on it, but that's just me. Yeah, or I, I would figure that you would order one with strippers, but if it's gonna be dancing <laughs> bears, that maybe that's what you're looking for. But I think what's important about that is that you have to start looking at an individual page. And now we don't try to rank a page for one or five keywords. Like our pages have to rank for 50 or 100 keywords on one page. And I'm not talking about something with 2,000, 10,000 words. We're trying to do that in pages with 500, 700 words and getting right. them to rank for 50 to 100 different keywords. Right. I think that that's being influenced by voice search. Now, Google's not putting out any statistical data on voice search reference. They're creating, I saw a post in a group yesterday where somebody was pissed off that they were looking in Google, um, Google Keyword Planner and they were seeing a lot of keywords that had 100 to 1,000 as the potential search volume. I think that that is a direct relational effect of the different variances in how those keywords can be asked. And Google's not sure how to properly datatize, systematize that data for marketers. So they're grouping it all together right now so they can have the data. And we've got to understand those influences. Is it going to make our jobs a little bit harder? Eh, possibly, but I still think there's a huge opportunity. And in what you said about the understanding that the results that are going to be populated probably aren't going to be our websites. It is a lot of times going to be the local Google My Business listing that's coming up, depending on what app you use. Um, but you've got to pay attention to all the influences, and it's still primarily the website that's driving that. Well, quite frankly, if Google continues on the way of AMP, then it, we're not going to be doing any SEO for any of our websites because Google's going to own all the content anyway. So all the content will be on Google servers. We're just be kind of like the midwife of getting Google users to other Google products is essentially what SEO is going to become whether they're doing it in the voice or not. For, in terms of voice search, I, I hear what you guys are saying, but I don't think it's going to change very much. I think it's just going to change in the keyword research. People are not, like you say, like people say different things, and they type different things, and the mannerisms of typing have completely changed, and, and, there, and Google has even commented they've seen this, of people instead of typing in, you know, uh, you know, pizza Victoria, BC, Canada, now they're typing pizza near me, now they're going to say, Google, I want some pizza, order it. But at the end of the day, RankBrain is going to know that's all the same stuff. And so, but, but, but there's still probably going to be, I don't know, Ted, I'm, I'll, I'll ask you this question because we have this debate all the time. Um, I think that RankBrain uh, and Hummingbird, the way they're understanding entities is so diverse that if I searched for weird Xmas gifts and unusual Christmas presents, uh, the same page will, will, will have the same ranking for that. Or do you think you'd have to optimize for, do you think, do you think the page that was optimized for weird Xmas gifts because that's exactly what I searched. We get a slight edge out over the strange Christmas presents. Well, uh, it, it's hard to know the mind of Google, but my understanding of <laughs> there's the, the quote for today. <clears throat> hard to know the mind of Google. My, my what about the brain? My understanding of the examples they gave when they uh, announced 
Rank Brain is that Rank Brain is taking searches, longer tail keyword searches, and they're canonicalizing them into shorter, more concise searches that are most likely already in their cache, in their application cache. So the long searches are very expensive because they're never cached. They take up a lot of system resources. And so they look at the language, they find out the criteria in the, in the long keyword search, and they find shorter searches that match that same uh, linguistic criteria, and then they find the answer. So I think they're largely just canonicalizing long searches and the shorter tail searches using natural language processing. Now, um, that's, now that's the mind-blowing thing, canonicalizing, because people think canonical tag is just something you put in your web page and, and somehow tells Google to not give you a penalty of some sort. <laughs> you're, you're talking about canonicaling at, at like a semantic level. Like when someone asks for, hey, Google, I, this is the search phrase. Hey, Google, I want to know about strange Christmas presents. Is the exact same thing as, as someone typing in weird Xmas gifts, and that's the same entity. Yes, and and it's a it's a cost reduction. It allows them to uh, to handle larger peaks, and it allows them to use fewer resources to service the whole internet. And so, when you look at you know making those query caches you know more optimal, yeah, it's it's big money for for Google to do that. No, definitely. Um, and you know, it, it's always it's interesting because he doesn't even work at Google anymore. But Amit Singh All, who, who was the head of search for, uh, I think, a decade, uh, over a decade, uh, it was his dream. He grew up in India, and it was his dream to make a computer you could talk to like he saw on, on uh, Star Trek, the original uh, uh, series, uh, where you could say, uh, you know, what is blonde? It would just respond to you. It was his dream to make this. He kind of made it, uh, and then he kind of said, he, then speaking of mic drop, he kind of said, okay, I'm done now. Boom, drop the mic and, and quit and left, <laughs> right? Around the time when Matt Cutts left. And now it, it, his dream has been partially realized, but it's not even fully realized yet. All right. Well, then, uh, with that, folks, I will end on the final segment, which is the random fact segment, which are random facts about our lives that have nothing to do with SEO. And so um, I'll start us off. So uh, my random fact for today is that actually I used to live in Winnipeg. And in Winnipeg, I played in two or three rock bands, which I played bass, which is there's my bass over there. I also sang in, in a couple of them. That's a random segment. Uh, what about you guys? What's a random fact from your life? It has nothing to do with SEO. Oh, <laughs> Ted's showing us in the video. Something. It looks like a mic stand. I think. What is that? Or, or do you have some yeah, guitars, amps, mic stands? Oh, there's amps and mic stands. Hey, there you go. So, what do you have there? Um, I have a Martin acoustic. I have a uh, Les Paul Studio Light. Uh, nice. Just got a Voice Live Three and a Beat Buddy. So I was playing with that earlier. Oh, Guys, that's I, what you I like. play guitar too. Look, look, check it out. We can start playing guitar together. We could turn this. <laughs> into, we could turn this into a, from SEO to guitar. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, that's such a dumb idea. I actually like it. <laughs> and, and, and I think we might actually do that one day. We'll just pull out the guitars. Because doing this, I don't even know if the tone would properly go over the, the interwebs. But if I sing off key, I could blame the interwebs and say, oh, well, I, it, was, it was the interwebs. It, let, oh, let it me, shifted me. Let me answer that SEO question. 
and it goes a little something. <laughs> there once was a man named Matt Cuts. He penalized my site, and I thought it sucked. Okay, on that note, I better end this end this thing right now. Okay, so this has been White Hat versus Black Hat. Uh, thank you very much, Ted and Roger, for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And uh, everyone, please subscribe to my channel. Like also, I want to, I want to give a quick uh, announcement, Josh. We're actually going to be doing a huge site audit with uh, a guy named Alan uh, Blaywis. I think he's how you say his last name. We're about to head over to that. So if any of you guys want to jump over there as well, we're going to be. He's going to be showing us like he does like huge site audits for like site. I think he even does like yeah. So if you guys want to check that out, it's going to be on uh, Chase Reiner if you want to check it out after. Sweet. Chase has more goodies for you on his channel, and I am going to play Gears of War 4. Wow. Because today is done as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and So, uh, again, thanks, folks, and uh, uh, pay attention for next week. We'll have another show. Thanks, Bye. everyone. Bye, everyone. <laughs>